Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review, the first one in 2024. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence. It's a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. Intelligence looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The 2023 Volume 4 is available now, and an annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. We have a briefing coming up on Tuesday, January 16th. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com slash intelligence. Well, Mr. Salentano, uh, I think you're talking about an NTIA award for DISH and Viavi? Uh, you know, uh, we, we came out of the shoot pretty quick in 2024. Lots happening in the in the, this first week of, of, uh, of reporting. And a couple of big developments that are really, um, um, I think, a vote of confidence in the direction of uh, Open RAN. Um, the NTIA has awarded uh, DISH Wireless, which is now a subsidiary of EchoStar, uh, having uh, the, 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 the standing company uh, as a result of the merger between DISH Network and EchoStar, which are both, by the way, owned by um, Chairman uh, Charlie Ergen. Um, DISH Wireless is now a subsidiary of EchoStar, but it, <clears throat> it received a grant from uh, NTIA uh, under the um, Public Wireless Supply Chain Innovation Fund to uh, its $50 million grant to establish uh, an open RAN, the, what's called the Open RAN Center for Integration and Deployment, or ORCID for short. And, and basically, it's uh, allowing uh, many different vendors who are supplying open RAN products or components or elements to test it out in a live environment using the dish network um and um you know as we move forward with more open RAN deployments in in wireless networks so this is really a, a sophisticated test bed to allow the uh, the vendors to to show how their products uh, work and interwork with other products that uh, comprise the um, open RAN ecosystem so um that that was um that was a pretty Pretty significant announcement, I think, and uh, and like I said, is is um, you know a positive development for open RAN deployments, um, uh, not only in North America but uh, around the world. Certainly, at the end of last year, we had AT and T commit fourteen billion dollars to Ericsson over a five year period to deploy open RAN in the AT and T network. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done to have open RAN integrated into what we call brownfield networks, meaning existing networks. Much of the open RAN success so far has been in what we call greenfield or brand new networks, uh, such as DISH. But um, I think the ability to test these products from a variety of vendors uh, that are already partners uh, with DISH um, 
and others uh, give uh, give these vendors an opportunity to strut their stuff and to to demonstrate that um, this concept uh, really works. In line with that, <clears throat> Viavi Solutions, which is a, a test equipment company, uh, also received an NTIA grant from the same fund. Uh, this one in the uh, uh, in the order of two twenty two million dollars over a three year period, uh, where um, Viavi will run its um, uh, the, 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 what is called the Viavi Automated Lab as a Service for Open Rand or Valor for short. I love these acronyms. Um, and again, it, you know, it's a platform where uh, network operators and vendors can test their uh, equipment uh, into working with other uh, oper uh, equipment vendors in a controlled environment, either in a lab environment or in the field. Uh, Viavi uh, makes available. Its expertise in testing, uh, but will su supply uh, engineers either on site or, or off site. Uh, uh, you know, show the operators how to use automated test processes and uh, develop testing capabilities uh, using uh, Viavi's uh, customized tools and, and libraries, and, and will assist in, in demonstration. So. Um, you know, the the idea is that uh, this Valor platform will allow the uh, component. Uh, the open rank component providers to to test um, uh, the system in a way that um, is both cost effective and um, and allows them to to test it at scale. So it doesn't have to be a, a, a simple lab experiment. It could be uh, something quite elaborate in the field. So you know, I think these are interesting developments, and and they do show that there's commitment being made towards uh, open rank technology. Uh, um, in this country, certainly uh, uh, going forward, and uh, we'll provide the facilities to to be able to prove that in. Uh, the other the other developments I thought were quite interesting. Our, our friends at Digital Bridge have been at it again. There was a couple of announcements this week that are pertinent to what they're doing. The big one is that Digital Bridge uh, deconsolidated its investment in Vantage stabilized data centers, and what that means is. Um, its ownership interest dropped below the level where it would then um, um, treat it more as an investment versus um, um, being an operator of the network. Uh, so, you know, this has been a goal of Digital Bridges for some time is to really get out of owning and operating um, companies uh, directly but rather just be an investor in those companies and bring in other investors uh, to participate in in um, in funding these these operations. So, Vantage Stabilized Data Centers was the last piece in in uh, Digital Bridges' plan to uh, get out of the the operating mode and, and strictly into an investment mode. It had done the similar at the end of last year with um, Data Bank. Which was another company that had had, had a significant investment in, and had to treat it as an operating company in its portfolio versus a pure investment. Now it reverts to a pure investment company uh, with a portfolio of over twenty five different companies around the world in all infrastructure, digital infrastructure asset classes, towers, fiber, data centers, edge infrastructure, and the like. So. Um, so the company is uh, is pretty jazzed about that. They're moving forward to step up their investments and bring in other investors to to um, to help uh, fund uh, digital infrastructure investments around the world. In line with that, and we also covered this this week. There was um, it 
Digital Bridge was a, a led uh, a co-investment uh, opportunity in Vantage Data Centers is a, a, to the tune of $6.4 billion. Uh, Vantage Data Centers operates um, 32 data center campuses around uh, around the world in five five diff on five continents in North America, you know, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and in Asia Pacific. And um, so this is indicative of the the type of investment that Digital Bridge wants to be involved in, where they're uh, they're they're not the owner, but they're the lead investor, and they'll bring in other investors to um, to help fund those operations. And uh, currently, they have about seventy five billion dollars of assets under management, and their 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 goal is to step that up to about a hundred billion in uh, by twenty twenty five. So, um, you know, we we've written about Digital Bridge before. We consider them um, kind of the prototypical infrastructure company. Uh, in as much as they're highly diversified, both in products and asset classes and geographically, and um, and and focus solely on digital infrastructure. So you know, every day we keep looking for what's next. Uh, what what is that the digital bridge team doing next? And uh, they don't they don't fail the surprise. So we'll keep an eye on them. And there's a geography test coming up. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like we're this is Mark Gainsey's world, and we're just living in it. You know, we should set up a category, and you know, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but just kind of a, a, a Gansey watch or something like that. No, <laughs> no one said there was going to be a test. <laughs> so the FCC is prepared to begin winding down the Affordable Connectivity Program (ACP). <clears throat> Uh, Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel uh, told House and Senate Appropriations and Commerce Committee leaders, um, she said more funding is urgently needed to keep the ACP in place. And in light of demand, the remaining funding we have is insufficient to fund it beyond April 2024. And depending on to you, who you talk to, it's either nearly 22 or 23 million households rely on ACP, which she called the largest broadband affordability program in the nation's history. Uh, Congress initially appropriated a little over $14 billion for it. That was um, part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. The administration asked for another $6 billion late last year to keep it going. But without the extra money, it's expected to run out of funding in May. And so right now under the program, eligible low-income households can receive a discount of up to $30 per month toward internet service and up to $75 per month for uh, eligible households on qualifying tribal lands. There's also like, I think, a $100 discount on devices and when they say eligible, they mean um, households that are getting some other fun funding from the government, like they're part of food stamps, which are now called SNAP, or housing benefits, something like that. She told them that uh, rough this change means roughly 1,700 uh, internet service providers would be affected by the end, and they would have to cut off service uh, to households no longer supported by the program. Uh, and she reiterated that NTI Administrator Alan Davidson recently told Congress that losing ACP, and this is a quote, 
would undermine the historic $42.5 billion bead program. Uh, she explained that through bead, the ACP supports a stable customer base to help incentivize deployment in rural areas. So uh, due to the lack of additional funding and the fact that the projected end date is less than four months away, the commission actually started announcing the steps it would take to wind down ACP uh, recently. The uh, the agency will notify the ISPs, the guidance on timing, and the requirements for them to begin notifying customers. And um, pretty soon, so there's, once she, once she sent that letter, Congress within days was ready to introduce a bill to extend the funding with a billion dollars more, seven billion Uh the the question is, would it, you know, make it through Congress? Uh, the U.S. Senators Peter Welch, a Democrat from Vermont, J.D. Vance, a Republican from Ohio, and on the House side, Yvette Clark, Democrat of New York, and Brian Fitzpatrick, Republican for Pennsylvania, they introduced the ACP Extension Act of 2024. Um, Blair Levin, the uh, policy analyst at New Street Research, doesn't hold high hopes the bill is going to make it through Congress. And that's because of all the turmoil going on in Congress right now. They're so busy arguing with themselves, they're not getting major business done. You know, like the budget, because the first deadline for a shutdown is Friday the 19th, which is coming up. Meanwhile, lots of trade associations support extending the ACP, more than 400. They include AT&T, Charter. Comcast, the Communication Workers of Americans, Cox, Encompass, um, NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association, T-Mobile, U.S. Telecom, WIA, and WTA, the Advocates for Rural Rural Broadband. Uh, and there was something else I was going to go on to. Oh yeah, the uh, at the last one of the last things. The FCC did. They did finally say February 7th is the deadline for broadband discount enrollment. Um, they said that late Thursday. So for those people who want to get at least a few weeks of benefit, they have to do it by February 7th. And now I think, Sharp, we're going to you. You're going to discuss fixed wireless access. Yes, Leslie. Yeah. Uh... Um, coming out of the gate uh, here in in 2024, uh, came across a, a couple stories about uh, fixed wireless access and um, basically how its um, popularity um, of the uh, UCLA uh, released some statistics on uh, T-Mobile. And basically uh, saying that it's uh, uh, it's leading the the 5G uh, fixed wireless uh, market in terms of market share, uh, followed by uh, Verizon, and then U.S. cellular. Uh, AT&T is not really showing up on the in those numbers because just recently they've uh, uh, they've become a believer in fixed wireless access, so uh, they're a little bit behind the eight ball on that. At the same time, uh, Mike Siebert, CEO of T-Mobile, was speaking at the UPS 
uh, conference and uh, uh, talked, uh, revealed that uh, they had become, uh, T-Mobile has become the, uh, the fifth largest internet service provider uh, in the nation by virtual by virtue uh, by virtue of its involvement in fixed wireless access, that would be uh, behind uh, uh, you know the usual usual suspects in that area. Um, so uh, T-Mobile has a half million fixed wireless access net ads per quarter, and a plan to uh, get to seven to eight million. Uh, total by the end of uh, 2025. So uh, they appear to be uh, on their way uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, a dominant position in that area. And uh, like I said, T uh, AT&T hasn't even gotten out of the gate yet. So we'll see where they, uh, they come on there. They've already got uh, a wireline uh, position in that area. Uh, T-Mobile's getting consistent median uh, download uh, speeds of about uh, 122 uh, megabits per second. And uh, um, when you're looking at fixed pro uh, providers, uh, they're about oh, almost twice that. And uh, I think what... Uh, uh, what we're going to be looking at in terms of uh, fixed wireless access is it's uh, it really will be a uh, 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 a speed race where uh, if uh, uh, if you uh, if you can't match the uh, the the wireline uh, speeds you're gonna uh, you're gonna get churn uh, and uh, and vice versa if uh, the uh, the fixed wireless people uh, the the fixed wireline people uh, can't match the the uh, the speeds of the uh, of the fixed wireless access. They will churn. Uh, so it's a uh, it will be a um, uh, it'll definitely be a, a speed race in terms of uh, of uh, of the internet world and. Uh, and you know we uh, we in the technology world have, have been keeping our eye on uh, uh, millimeter wave, and if uh, you look at five uh, G millimeter wave, um, they, there was also some some news. Uh, John, help me out. I think you wrote this one up uh, where uh, T Mobile was uh, uh, they were using carrier aggregation for uh, maybe six. Uh, CA and uh, and getting some uh, some gigabit uh, download speeds. So uh, fixed wireless access can definitely um, you know technologically uh, uh, they I think they can they can compete uh, with uh, with the wireline people and um, so so there's that going on in the U.S. and we picked up a. Uh, story over in uh, Australia, where the uh, uh, you know the the wire uh, the national broadband network, which is their uh, state-run uh, 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 broad wi wireline broadband uh, uh, provider, is uh, losing losing uh, market share to fixed wireless access. Uh, 
in this case, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the wire the the speeds are similar. Only uh, fixed wireless access is uh, uh, being priced at uh, ten to fifteen dollars, while the uh, the national broadband network is uh, uh, charging about eighty five. So you know, it's uh, it's speed versus uh, 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 cost. So uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of economics will will be involved with this. Another thing I found interesting, and I'll uh, cut it off after this, but uh, one other thing I found interesting was um, we had a, a story come out from uh, the F Fiber Broadband Association that uh, uh, noted that they had a, a, a record, had record growth in fiber to the home mm -hmm. in uh, 2023, uh, adding 9 million uh, homes. Uh, the same, you know, at the same time, uh, Doug Dawson with uh, an analyst with CCG uh, Consulting um, basically forecast that fiber is going to take a year off in 2024, uh, basically uh, because uh, the economics aren't working for them right now. And uh, so and probably just a, uh, a relative uh, breather. So it's, uh, it's interesting to me that in 2023, we, uh, the, the wireless industry took a breather and, um, and had a, a CapEx slowdown at the same time that uh, fiber was, uh, was setting records. Uh, and uh, uh, so in 2024, it looks like uh, possibly wireless is going to come back and uh and fiber is going to take a breather and uh in 2025 uh bead the bead with the bead money going out uh and being put into place you're going to see uh, uh fiber come back in uh, 25. uh so uh I, I i don't know if this is going to be a recurring um trend but uh, uh it, it, lately, it seems like uh, fiber will go big, wireless comes back, uh, wireless comes back, fiber takes a breather. So um, we're going to be uh, we're going to be watching this uh, over, you know, over the years probably to uh, to see how how the the two different methods uh, go about uh, providing coverage. And probably mostly in uh, in in the uh, in the rural areas, I think that's where you'll see uh, possibly the majority of, uh, of the fixed wireless, uh, you know, really taking some uh, some uh, market share. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, a lot going on in that that area. And as they say, uh, you know, watch this space. You know, fixed wireless. Uh... Carrier, we need to make a distinction between carrier-based fixed wireless, which means they're using part of their spectrum for fixed applications, versus facilities-based fixed wireless, like the WISPs deploy, where they put in a base station and they put in customer premise equipment and the like. The carriers are benefiting from the excess capacity they have now, and and but they realize you know they're not going to have unlimited amounts. That's why both T-Mobile and Verizon have sort of capped what they expect to achieve in terms of numbers of fixed wireless subscribers. 
But you're right. I think part of the slowdown of fiber is they're feeling the effects of net ads going to a fixed wireless op- option versus signing up for a fiber-based option. And, uh, um, you know, the the time and cost to put in a fiber network, fiber to the home or fiber to the business is significant. And um, where they're falling short so far is they're not getting the signups or, or what we call take rates at the same pace as what the fixed wireless is able to sign up. So, yeah, I think you're right. You know, we're, we're likely to see this back and forth for a while until we figure out, you know, um, what, what the, the best, the best mix of, technology and, and cost is so yeah i mean doesn't it doesn't it strike you um as i don't know uh we uh we we see we see the the rush to to uh, uh to deploy the the fiber and uh um and i guess what struck me about that uh is it's just the fact that fixed wireless is is uh, so much cheaper to uh, uh, to roll out than 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 the fiber, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I've 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 been wondering whether there's going to be a big consolidation of uh, fiber when they don't get those take rates because of the expense of uh, of uh, having the uh, the the FTTH. Uh, passings. I uh, uh, I wonder how the how the economics will really work out because we know that the f- providers, the carriers, are many times they they build it and they hope they'll come. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's an interesting question, Sharp. But we just uh, need to keep monitoring. By the way. Um, the you know the fourth quarter earnings calls are coming up in a couple of weeks, and um, my expectation for that was we'll get a read on what their spending plans look like for the coming year, and also um, what the competitive environment is. You know when they start reporting their their numbers in terms of net ads or um, or, or churn rates that sort of thing. Where and I'm talking all the carriers here, wireless and and broadband as well, but. Uh, um, so the next few weeks, uh, starting I guess in the last week of January, running through middle of February, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty interesting to see uh, what kind of um, uh, results are reported for the, the the prior year and what the outlook is for for this year. All right, so that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review, and for a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition. We'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.